0: Excellent. Well, you all picked a great morning uh, to be with us today. We have a very special treat. Pastor Ryan is going to be uh, closing up our series uh, entitled "The Iceberg." We've been talking about how going to heaven is really only the tip of the iceberg in Christianity. There's so much more that God has for us. And Pastor Ryan, um, I heard him in the last service, and he did such an incredible job. For those of you who don't have the pleasure of, of knowing Ryan or you haven't met him yet, he is our pastor over college and young adults. Uh, the the ministry called the Grove, and he. Does does an incredible job every Tuesday night leading those young people with passion and wisdom and so this morning I'm excited as he brings his passion and wisdom uh, to teach what God has put on his heart and I'm very excited for it so would you all please help me in welcoming pastor Ryan all right it's good to see your faces Um, I forgot what I was going to say, that was so nice. So I guess I'll just tell you a little bit about myself, because most of you probably don't know uh, much of who I am. Um, I am married to uh, Elisa. She is amazing. She's beautiful. We got a picture of her. Uh, She's gorgeous. And so somehow, on a series of random events, I ended up uh, in Central Park in New York City with her alone. And I'm not sure how that happened, but I'm glad it did. And I remember walking through the park uh, with her and looking at her and thinking to myself, man, I." I really think I could fall in love with this girl. And then the next thought was, I wonder what her name is. And I, I really didn't know what her name was. But I do know what it is now. I've got it memorized. Uh, I've, I haven't forgotten it since. Uh, and then six weeks later, I actually bought the ring. Uh, so we've been married for six and a half years. And uh, we've got three amazing boys. Uh, thank you. We got three amazing boys. The oldest one is Isaac and he's he's got the most tender, unbelievably compassionate, loving heart of anybody I know. He's a way better man than I am already. And then the next one is Jonah. He's two. And then Levi is three months old, and he is awesome. I love Levi. He's so much fun. So those are my boys, and they are a joy, and they are a drain sometimes, too. <laughs> but it's great. So so I'm wrapping up the series on icebergs, uh, going to heaven. It's, it's, not, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, oftentimes we have an escapist mentality. We just can't wait to get to heaven, so we don't have to be here anymore and deal with our neighbors or the person next to us. And so I want, we, we're talking about how there's so much more uh, to just the Christian life and following Jesus than just escaping here and going to heaven and where, there's, where it's going to be amazing. But there's lots of things that God wants us to do here First. And so I'm going to tell you a couple of things. First, just to kind of set up the idea of what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the morning. Um, And so we're going to start off in Matthew 28, verse 18. And it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, And so oftentimes, we read this, and yes, this is what this is about. We're going to use the disciple word. It's a bad word. Oftentimes, we hear that word, and it scares us because it requires work on our part. But we're, we're going to use that, and that's what we're really about. And we'll, oftentimes, we say this scripture, and we read it, and we complicate it so much. And we think, oh, to go and make disciples of all the nations, we think, oh, that means I have to get on an airplane, and I got to go to Haiti or India. And yeah, you should go to Haiti and India, but there's actually the nations right here and the people right next to us that God wants us to be discipling, even more so than just going out to the nations. Because we got to be able to do it here as well as go out. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm going to be talking about. I have a great quote that I'm going to read to you. It's on the board as well. It's uh, by Donald Rumsfeld. If you don't know who he is, he is, um, or he was, uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, under President Bush, and he served under a bunch of different presidents. Just a genius guy. Um, and so this is what it says, and I want you to read along with me because it's kind of a tongue twister if you're not uh, if you're not being careful, I, I actually messed it up last service. We'll see if I can get it right this time. There are known knowns. These are things that we know, we know. There are known unknowns, that is to say, There are things that we know we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. There are things that we don't know we don't know. And so that's the title of this morning is Unknown Unknowns. So I I dare you to look that up on the internet and say it 10 times to someone. Um, So we had I worked at this church back in uh, from 2006 to 2009 and it was it was a beautiful church it was it was actually it was like one hundred and sixty years old it was the oldest stone church in the country that I was in and in the church and they had this uh, this railing and some of you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about there's a railing that goes all the way across the front and then there's the altar back here and the, the altar was is much more substantial than this and it was like a big you know, it was made out of stone. It was huge. And so you'd go up to it and you kneel down on it and you take communion there. And when I worked there, the church was so old and that had been there for so long, I just thought this is such a holy thing. Like this this railing, this altar. And I was like, you don't touch it. Kids would climb on it and do balance beam. And I was like, no, 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 get off that. Uh that's you know, you're walking on God's holy temple. And so we were like, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, this is super holy. And, uh, but because I love architecture and I love old buildings so much, and this one was super cool when no one was looking, cause you know, you do things you're not supposed to do when no one's looking. I would, I would lift up the thing or I'd step over it, feeling a little bit bad as I go over it. And then I'd go back into the, into the, uh, the altar back here, and I'd look at it because the, the artifacts and the things that were back there were so old, and I just had to see what was behind all of it. Like, if someone threw a time capsule back there, or if there was just anything, like a spear from an old war or whatever, if there was something back there, and I'd look, and it's just, it was so cool. I just loved it. And, um, I had this idea in my head that this railing was like, so where you guys are at right now, that's like the holy place, you know, the temple. And then where I'm at right now, this is the holy of holies. This is where God is. And so I had this idea that that's what this thing did. It separated you from God and me from God. And I was talking with an old man uh, that that worked at the church and he was, he's the most beautiful old man I've ever encountered. I loved him to, to To pieces. Um, And he's the kind of guy that when you grow up, you want to be. I want to be like that guy when I grow up. That's the kind of guy he was. And we were talking, and he's like, You know what? Why we have this, right? And I was like, Well, yeah, to keep me away from God. You know, it's separate us from from the holy place. And he goes, No, no, no. A long time ago, the church has always kept the doors open, and the cows and the sheep and the goats and the horses would wander in the church and they'd pee on the altar. So, like, we, we can't have animals peeing on the altar where God is, so we got to keep them out, and so you put up this gate. And so the point of the story is oftentimes we go through life and we create these things that mean nothing and we make them mean something more than they are because we don't know. Or we take things in life that are supposed to mean something, that are supposed to be significant, and because we've never been taught or we've never been told what they are, we don't see any significance in them at all simply because we don't know. And so I've got three, three questions that I want to ask you as we go through this, as we learn about the unknown unknowns and what that means for us. And the first one is, obviously because we're talking about discipling others and telling others about it, the first one is, how do we teach others about the unknown? And I want to discover this with you as, as we talk through this. And so I'm going to use a lot of Old Testament scriptures. And I love reading the Old Testament for a lot of reasons. Uh, for, because a while ago, God reminded me that if he wrote it, then it was important. So I was like, well, I, then I guess if it's important for him to read it, then I might as well. Or if it's important enough for him to write it, I might as well read it. And I, you get to read it. And I, I realized that the Old Testament, God gave us natural examples of what it looks like to live in the spiritual realm. For instance, in the Old Testament, they would send, like, the worship team out in front of the army to go and defeat somebody. And now we think about it, like, that's stupid. Like, we would, we would never send Pastor Aaron out in front of our invading army into another country with a guitar. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But we know in the spiritual realm that worship is warfare. And when we worship God, the enemy must flee. And when we worship Him, His presence comes, and therefore it drives the enemy even further away. So when we see something in the Old Testament and we see it done in the natural, God is giving us an example of what it looks like in the spiritual. Are you with me? Okay. So we're going to start in the book of Exodus. Exodus is in the Old Testament. And uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, let's see, it's Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. Those were all written by Moses. And uh, so Moses tells this account, and we're going to talk, and we're going to learn about this story between two guys, uh, Moses and Joshua. And so we're going to pick up in uh, Exodus 24, 13. Uh, and this is actually after, <laughs> which is, anyways, this is actually after uh, Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're in the desert. And uh, God says, okay, I'm going to meet you on the mountain. Come to the mountain, but don't let anybody touch the mountain. Uh, so Moses goes to the top of the mountain, and he actually makes several trips. And so uh, I want you guys to read this for yourself. And I, I tell this to the Grovers all the time. We call the people who go to Grove, we call them Grovers. Does that make sense? Uh, so we, I tell them all the time that don't just assume that what I'm saying is fact, just check my facts. So I'm going to tell you the same thing. Check my facts. Don't just assume that I'm telling you the truth um, because then when you check my facts, it takes you deeper as well. So Exodus 24:13. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide. And Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So we can see Moses took Joshua to the top of the mountain. And in our life, what we need to do is we need to be finding people that we're willing to take with us wherever we're going, especially the most intimate, amazing encounters that we have with God. We want to bring people into that because Joshua was able to learn something about an interaction with God that he had never learned before. Moses introduced Joshua to a God that he hadn't met and so he brought him up to the mountain and he introduced Joshua to this God that he had never met before. And the amazing thing about this is Moses went back and forth. And Mo- I'm, I'm going to assume that Joshua was with Moses everywhere he went because he was his aide. He was his, his assistant. And when you have an assistant, you take your assistant with you. And so his assistant was with him all the time. And Moses went up and down several times. And Aaron went up with him once too. And yet he came down. And what happened after that? He ended up building the golden calf. And so they started worshiping something that wasn't God. But Joshua went up several times with Moses every time he went up. And as a result, he knew the God that he was worshiping and he never wavered from what he was worshiping. And so, and I'm gonna read another one. In Exodus 33, 11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And you can read in there, the tent of meetings was a place that says that anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord could go to the tent of meetings. And yet the only person that's recorded ever going to the tent of meetings was Moses. But Joshua was always with him. And so he'd sit outside the tent and listen to the conversation that was being taken place on the inside. And how many of you guys know that if you ever go camping, those tent walls... They're not very thick, so anything you say inside the tent, if anybody's around, they hear. There's no keeping secrets in a tent. And so Joshua would sit at the feet of God every time Moses was there. And not only that, when Moses would leave, Joshua would stay, because Moses lear- or Joshua learned from Moses how to sit and stay and just spend time in the presence of God. And we need people Taking us and teaching us how to not just go to the mountains, how not just to meet God, but we also need to be teaching people how to spend time with God and how to just spend uh, and sit in the presence of of an amazing God. And this is something that's so simple. We can do this in any area of our life. I was, um, I have this friend named uh, Dylan. He's an amazing, amazing guy. And he was, uh, he was very mechanically inclined and I also had a, a BMW, it was given to me and it was, it was awesome. I love this BMW, but it came time for me to change the oil because if you don't know, you're supposed to change your oil. Uh, so I was changing the oil and I, I went to his house because he's got a, uh, the, the ramps. And so I pulled it up on the ramps and I was underneath the, the car trying to get the, the oil filter off. And I was wrenching this thing as hard as I possibly could. And I, just, I couldn't get it to budge at all. And I was like, Dylan, you're going to have to give it a try. And I got out from under the car, and I started pulling out my man card because I couldn't get the oil filter off, and you don't deserve a man card if you can't get it off. And so he gets down there, and he's wrenching, and he couldn't get it off. Like, he was going as hard as he could, and he's a much larger man than me. It doesn't take much, but he was a lot bigger than me, a lot stronger, and he couldn't get off, so I put my man card back in my pocket. Um... And he was sitting there, and he was doing this, and he stopped, and he paused, and he goes, Father, help us figure this out. And it was such a simple thing that he said. All I'm doing is changing the oil in my car, but I'm doing life with someone else. And he said something so simple that has been so profound and has impacted my life ever since. But it was in that moment when he said, Father, help us figure this out. I realized that God is a God that we can connect with no matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter what we're doing. We can talk to him. He's like, Dad, help me figure this out. And the way that he said it, he said it in such a way that there is this relationship and this connection between him and God. I was like, that's what I want. I need that. Just because I was changing the oil. A statement so simple. It changed my life. So how do we do life with others? That's the question, simply by doing it with other people. Just do life with others. So point number two, or rather question number two, why do we want to teach others about the unknown? Because it's not just good enough to know that we need to. It's like, well, why? You know, we, we always ask questions. Why? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell continue the story between uh, Joshua and Moses to illustrate this. And it's uh, the next verse is out of Deuteronomy 3. And now God is actually talking to Moses in this because Moses realizes that he's actually, so he brought the nation out of Egypt but he's not going to be taking the nation into the promised land. And so God is talking to Moses about this. And and God says, go up to the top of, and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land. That's one thing about the Old Testament is there's a lot of words that just, I just, I I can't pronounce them. Uh, Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross the Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage him. Strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So God used Moses to take them out of captivity. And Joshua sat with Moses, learned from Moses learned everything and did everything that Moses did. He met God with Moses. He learned how to sit at the feet with Moses. And it was Joshua that was going to take the nation into the promised land. And without the guidance and the constant mentoring of Moses, Joshua would not have been able to do that. There's uh, the the same church, actually, that I worked at, uh, the senior pastor in there. His name was David. Different David from, from the other stories. There's just lots of Davids. And uh, we were talking. He was, he was an amazing man of God. He would teach me all kinds of things. And he I, I loved him and I hated him all at the same time because he'd make me do things that didn't make any sense. It was very uncomfortable. One of the things that he would do is he'd actually, so in order to, to preach, he'd he'd give me three random scriptures. He'd give me a scripture from the Old Testament, a scripture from like Uh, psalms and a scripture from the gospel. is okay. You got to preach on these. And we're like, what? And they didn't make any sense. They didn't connect. Just like, you got to, you got to do this. And what I learned from that is it made me dig so deep into the scriptures that I learned that I, you can, because it all ties together because it's all God's love for us. It's all talking about Jesus, but I didn't realize that at the time. So he gave me these random scriptures and I'd find these things out. He'd make me stand up against a wall, a brick wall, and with my head up against the back with a book and it'd make me read, and then he said, no, 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 no. do do it slower. So I'd read it again, and he goes, no, do it slower. Really? So I'd do it again, And, and he's, okay, that's good. So when you're talking to a large group, you have to say things slower because they get distracted easy. And if you talk real fast then people can't understand what you're saying and they get distracted just like that. So he's teaching me these things, even though I was like, I don't know why I'm standing up against the wall. It didn't make any sense. So he taught me all kinds of things. And um, one of the things that happened was during the course of my time at this church, there was a lady uh, that worked there as well. She was on staff, one of the pastors, and she had, And I'm not going to go into what she did because it, it's besides the point. It doesn't really matter. But she was doing a lot of things that that you shouldn't be doing. And it was just inappropriate. She was causing people to leave the church and it ended up being a mess but she'd been doing this for years and years and years. Long before uh, Pastor David came to this church. And he, he his, so he what he did is he removed her from her position and as a result a lot of other things came to the surface and she actually turned around and sued uh, David. And so now there's this lawsuit against, against David and he's fighting this lawsuit because he didn't do any wrong. And it ended up becoming such a big deal that it went all the way to the high court of this country that I was in. All the way to the high court. It was a big deal. And Pastor David was losing weight. He was getting sick. He was just, his insides were just destroying themselves because he was so stressed out. People were leaving the church. It was this huge attack on his life. And he and I were talking. I was like, why? Like, is it really worth it? And he said something that profoundly impacted me. He says, Ryan, if I don't do it, then someone who comes after me will have to take care of the mess that I was put here to deal with. And oftentimes... I feel like that's the way that we are with our lives. God has given us things to fight for. He's giving us things to fight for revelation about our about God. He's giving us uh, things to fight for in our understanding and wisdom and knowledge of who God is. And it's our responsibility to fight for those so that we can teach the next generation so that they don't have to. Because as far as we go, we can go as far as the desert, but someone else is going to have to take them into the promised land. And if we don't teach them and show them and continue to contend for for what they need to know to take us into the promised land, we'll never get there. And that's what Moses was doing with Joshua. And I'd also be willing to bet that Moses had no idea what he was doing. I'm sure he had no idea what he was doing, but he knew God. And he continued to follow God. And as a result of following God, he was able to teach Joshua what he needed to know. So... Why do we want to teach others about the unknown? Because they don't know what they don't know. There's an entire generation that's coming up after us that if we don't tell them what we've been fighting for, then they're not going to know it. We cannot, like David, we cannot abdicate our role about the things that we've fought for to someone else because it just prolongs people from going into the promised land. And so what does this look like? It looks like doing life with others. It looks like honor. We honor those who are older than us and we honor those who God has entrusted to us. And it, honor also looks like not knowing or not thinking that we know everything that they know because we don't. There's, I grew up in a church that didn't teach us that it was important to read the scriptures. It didn't teach us that it was important to read the Bible. It didn't teach us that it was important to pray I had no idea that we were supposed to pray until much later in my life. All those years that could have been doing something to advance the kingdom of God were wasted because I didn't know what I didn't know because no one taught me. And so we have to make sure that we're continuing to teach those so we honor those who have been placed under us and we honor those who we want to submit ourselves to so that we can learn from them and go further than they are. There's... Um, the greatest generation is, uh, is the, the people who fought World War II. And we call them the greatest generation because they laid down their lives to do something so that we wouldn't have to. It was the biggest single war that has ever happened on the face of the planet, and they fought for us. They left the comforts of their home so that we wouldn't have to. They left the comforts of their home with joy and laid down their life with joy so that we wouldn't have to. We were able to go to the moon because of what they did. We have iPads and iPhones because of what they did. They have no idea what an iPad or an iPhone is, and that's okay. Because we're not saying that we're greater than them, but we're able to do things because of what they did. So it looks like asking great questions. Questions reveal that you care. And the questions that you ask reveal what you care about. And so we have to ask them questions. And are we asking them questions about them? Because are they the ones that we care about? And what do you need to do to do life with them? Well, if you have to move a couch, ask someone to come and help you move a couch. It's pretty simple. If you've got to build a fence, call someone and say, hey, can you come to Home Depot with me? So I've got to pick up some wood. Can you help me? And then can you help me build the fence? Because not only are they going to be learning a life skill of being able to use a hammer, because some people can't use hammers. Uh, But they're also going to be learning from you as you ask them questions, as you talk to them. They'll learn from you the simple things. Father, help me figure out how to make this fence will deeply impact someone more than you could possibly ever know. I'd be willing to bet that he has no idea that that single prayer impacted me in the way that it did. And I'd be willing to bet that David probably doesn't even remember the conversation that he had with me when he said, I can't leave this for someone else to do when God called me to do it. He probably doesn't remember that or even remember that he said it. And I guarantee he has no idea the impact he had on my life as a result of it. So it looks like coffee. If you don't like coffee, don't take someone to coffee. But if you like coffee, one of the greatest ways to impact the next generation Take them to coffee. Cost you $3. Money well spent. It's so easy. But if you don't like it, take someone golfing. Because when you're golfing, you're trapped with someone for hours and hours and hours. And you can ask all kinds of questions. You can ask the real questions. How are you doing? No. How are you really doing? What's really going on in your life? And get to the heart of the matter. Because one of the things that I've learned is when I learn life lessons... It's easy for me to say, hey, this is how I did it. You should do it too. But people don't learn that way. People are going to learn when we walk through life lessons with them as they're going through it. And you can teach them as they're doing it with them at the same time. And what does it look like? It looks like love. If you don't love people, don't try to disciple someone because it's not going to come off very good but I guarantee you love people to some degree. But even more, I guarantee that you love God to a greater degree. And he's the one that has called us to do this. He's the one that said, go and make disciples. And you don't have to be brilliant to do this. In Acts 4, 13, this is great. It says, uh, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So when you go back and you, look, and you look up the word unschooled, it actually means uneducated or illiterate, like they couldn't read. When you look up ordinary, it means common or idiots. So it says, they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were illiterate dum-dums. But they were astonished because they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. Your proximity to Jesus is going to make all the difference. When we take someone to the mountaintop and we introduce them to God, then we know what to do because we're introducing them to God. It's not about what I know, it's about who He is. So I I live with a ninja turtle. He's the blue one. Uh, Donatello? Leonardo! So he's Leonardo. Some of you guys live with ninja turtles too. Uh, so I live with this ninja turtle, and uh, it's it, I love this ninja turtle most of the time. But sometimes... So what he'll do is... He'll take things. So here's the crazy, so here's, boys are boys. Like God just put something inside boys that you can't teach. He's never seen the Ninja Turtles. Yet he knows all about the Ninja Turtles. And I'm only imagining this, the Holy Spirit teaching him about Ninja Turtles. Because I can't understand how he knows about Ninja Turtles. But he swings something at his little brother. And I's like, Isaac, you cannot hit your brother. And he's like, Daddy, I'm not Isaac. I'm a Ninja Turtle. No, you're not a Ninja Turtle. He goes, yeah. God made me a ninja turtle. It's like whatever. So, anyways, I live with a ninja turtle. I don't have a son named Isaac. I live with a ninja turtle, and his name is Leonardo. And uh, so, Leonardo and uh, my other son, Jonah, they were in the basement and they were playing and they were doing a great job. And I was upstairs and I was like, man, it's so quiet down there. They're being such such good kids. This is great. I am a really good parent. Elisa, we have done an awesome job already. Uh, we should write a book and teach others how to parent their kids. So this is great. And so I was like, well, it's been a while, and I haven't heard a peep for a while. So like we should probably go down and check on them. No, 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 they're okay. I really want to do this. And after a while, I was like, no, you better go down. And so we went down. I went down, and uh, I'm greeted with my ninja dress saying, Daddy, it's okay. It's my sewer. And I'm like, what's... Your sewer, what are you talking about? No, 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 it's okay, I'm a ninja turtle, it's my sewer. Okay. And I said, show me. And so he walks me over to the sub pump. And if you don't know what a sub pump is, because uh, I guess not all houses have them, but the sub pump is where all the water from underneath the house drains in there and then it pumps it out. So it's, it's his s- sewer. And so I, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I open up the lid and he's, got, he's thrown straws down there. I don't know where he got the straws. Uh, he's got uh, plastic forks and plastic knives down there. I don't know how Ninja Turtles find plastic forks and plastic knives in the basement, but they do. And they, they ended up in the sub-pump. There were balls and toys. They were all things down in the sub-pump. But what I realize is that when a generation grows silent... And when your kids grow silent, something's wrong. And the reason why—the <laughs> <laughs> reason why I was wrong—is because I abdicated my role as a dad to teach and train him up in the way that he should go. And I know, I know, obviously, you got to just let your kids do your kid things. But I let him be silent for too long. And the next generation, the generations that we're raising up are being silent for too long. And when they grow silent, they're getting into trouble. And they're doing things because we have abdicated our role to train them up in the way that they should go. And if we don't continue to train them and encourage them and strengthen them in the way that they should go, they'll never be able to lead us into the next area, spiritual area that God wants to take us. They'll never be able to take us into the promised land. It doesn't make them better than us. It just means that God's using them to go further than we were able to go. But they'll only be able to do that if we continue to fight for the things that God has caused us to fight for and not abdicate it for someone else to do. Good. Thanks. So, <laughs> so it's, and if the worship team wants to come up, uh, they can, if they're still here. We're not going to send you in front of the army. It's up to us to model what it looks like to sit in the presence of a loving father. And it's our responsibility to take the Joshuas to the mountaintops in our daily life and in our spiritual life. There's an entire, so my father-in-law is, is he's a dying breed. I believe he's a dying breed because he's the kind of guy that knows everything about everything, like when you go to his shop at his garage, he's got tools there that I've never seen. He's got tools that i, I, I picked them up. I haven't even—I have no idea what this would even be used for. It's completely beyond me. But he knows how to use blowtorches. He knows how to solder. He knows how to make stained glass. You should see the uh, the grandfather clock in our living room that he made. It's—it's it's unbelievable. The things that he can do. It's unreal. But those skills are also being lost because we're not training them up. It's not just spiritual things. Bring them along when you got to make a fence because someday they're going to need to make a fence and they're not going to know how to do it. And they'll end up having to pay someone when they could have just done it themselves, but they can't because we didn't show them. It's so much harder for me to bring Isaac, my four-year-old, into the garage and let him work with me in the garage because it, he complicates things 10 times more than it needs to be but he's learning things. He knows how to swing a hammer. He hits things that he probably shouldn't most of the time, but he knows how to do it. But I'm teaching him things that he's not going to learn. And if he's not going to learn it from us, and if the next generation isn't going to learn it from us, they're going to learn it from people or the world, and that's not who we want them learning it from. It's up to us to strengthen the next generation so that they can go further than we have ever dreamed of going. And let us not fight let us not let them fight the battles that we were meant to fight for. So what does it look like? It looks like therefore go and make disciples of all nations. <laughs> Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. It's so simple. I want to invite our ministry team to come forward. If you want prayer for whatever it is that I talked about, that's awesome. If you've got something else going on, we're here for you. We want to be able to pray for you. And we're just going to worship for a minute. But Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that you have given us the tools because of who you are, not because of what we know to lead the next generation to go further than we can go. God, I pray that none of us would just assume that they know what we know, that the things that we have battled for and fought for in our lives with revelation would not go untaught to the next generation. I pray that we would just love on them because they don't know what they don't know. And that you would just place a burden on our heart to go and take someone out to coffee and just start doing life with someone, teaching them and encouraging them and in strengthening them to do the things that you have called them to do, to go further than us. In Jesus' name, amen.